The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. I got a text last night from my second oldest son, Josh, who's every bit of 36, who said he woke up from a dream that morning where he had been reading my book, When Children Walked the Earth. I asked him what I wrote. He said he didn't know. He never remembered much about dreams. Well, I waked up this morning and I saw the book all at once. I do that sometimes and it's most irritating because I know that by the time I get some sort of outline begun, it will be gone. But I thought I would share the glimpse I saw of it and see if I can't fill it out in the coming weeks. Forgive me, you are not going to see a whole lot of proof texting. That too will come. I'm trying to give you an idea of just what I saw when children walk the earth. Children need authoritarian supervision. Wherever men have organized throughout history, it's always been the story of authoritarian supervision. The leaders always become some sort of elite, if nothing else, because I said so, who have that authority to because I said so over people who cannot imagine freedom themselves apart from a leader who frees them by organizing them and telling them what to do. Those who can imagine freedom and those who break the rules are herded back into line with a strong paternal hand. The assumption that's been proven by most experience is that the human heart is made of stone and if left to themselves without that strong hand of a father leader they would destroy themselves by lawless anarchy because a stone can't be written on. Stone can't itself be the source code to direct their life into meaning and purpose in any sort of a free social order. That requires a strong father and a strong law. Now, that parent-child analogy is always embraced by leaders who identify themselves as the parents and everyone else as their children. In fact, I can't think of, in my own very limited knowledge of history and and society, civilization, I can't think of any social group that hasn't used that picture of the parent and the child. Uh, they visualize themselves as the parent and everyone else as their children. Now the children might be marvelously gifted and wonderfully imaginative or clever perhaps, but, but naive and incompetent and, and defenseless and when it comes to taking care of themselves because they have no basis for self-control, therefore no basis to grow towards a purpose by their own self-governed effort. Their hearts are stone, and so elite leaders must control and manage and regulate them for their own good. And these elite leaders come up with many, many different ways to justify their authority or to say their authority is true authority. But the fact of the matter is, this is how all human societies have worked, and the Bible tells us that they work that way because of sin. B. 
because in the garden there, when we rebelled against God's law, against his ethical standard, and remember what the first principle of God's law is that Adam and Eve rebelled against. It's that when he tells you to do something, you do it. It's the right thing to do. God really is our Father, and from that time on, when we sinned, we, we, we're protected from the death of complete anarchy by the fact that he gives authoritarian government. Now, up until now, the civilization is the story of children walking the earth, guided by a few father leaders. Now, comparing the leader, whether the king, the priest, the father, or a revolutionary, to a wise, strong father, taps into deep wells of filial piety and sentimental longing, which invariably the leaders suck dry. But what the analogy lacks is the most obvious purpose of fatherhood. Excuse me, I haven't written anything, I mean, read anything. Shall I say, eaten anything all day. So, with my coffee, and by the way, this is an example of a, a quiche that Anne makes. We've had five-star chefs stop off here just to eat her quiche, saying they have no idea how she does it. I'll be noshing on it as we go along. Coffee's good, too. The noise you hear behind me, on the other side of the wall, that's our dishwasher washing all the dishes. So, where was I? The analogy of the leader as the strong father figure lacks the most obvious purpose of fatherhood. That's raising up and enabling the child to grow up to full, independent adult maturity, just like the father. Here, that'll help take care of some of the ambient noise. I turned off the air conditioner. Authoritarian leadership, as the world has known it, is always winter, never Christmas. Being led by such father leaders is like being trapped in Neverland. It's always about authoritative power the parents' authoritative power, and all the good they do with the power, using it to protect you, the child. It's never about children growing out of wonderful imaginations into a world where they don't need controllers to make the thoughts of their hearts real and build their life towards the true purpose that God has given them. It is this purpose that they were created in the garden in God's image to accomplish. And because of sin, because of our fall, because of our rebellion, we're left with these stone hearts that can't achieve this purpose. And whenever we try to achieve freedom, whenever we see that that hand of the authoritarian is, is unbearable, and we say, I'm going to strike out on my own, we end up creating anarchic chaos. Now, at its worst, such father government is miserable, but it is survivable. At its best, such government is wonderful and imaginative, but fundamentally meaningless, going nowhere. The child citizen, the child church member, the child wife, these can never grow up because by definition, a grown-up adult citizen, a grown-up congregant, member of the congregation, or adult wife is ungovernable by traditional authoritarian structures. These authoritarian structures are designed to live life for the child, to feed him, clothe, house, protect that child, these authoritarian instructions are not designed for fellow adults to live mature lives with you who can govern themselves, that is with you be, being with the leader. 
how do we grow up when maturity requires real hearts of flesh and blood, not hearts of stone? Can you blame the authoritarian father-leader model? It's been the world reality since the fall away from fellowship with God. It had to be that way because we were incapable of self-government beyond very limited degrees. How can we capture purpose, meaning, and development, moving towards something, going somewhere with real consequences, without losing imagination and wonder? If you, if you think about a lot of the movies that have come out recently, they're all about that. That the child has a world of imagination and wonder, which we thick-headed adults don't get. Because when you get old enough to be an adult with all the cares and worries upon you, taking care of children, you lose your own wonder of the world. And think of all the movies that have been made with that theme. They're designed for people somewhere, parents between the ages of 40 and 60. Uh, and they really cut to the heart, no matter how sentimental they are. You see, how can we stop using, this is, this is the question of freedom. How can we stop using our gifts and abilities to fulfill the father leader's imagination of the way things ought to be and because we never had time and freedom or the use of the ability through our self-government to fulfill the image God gave to us. So we're always working at someone else's mill. Always winter at worst. Always never, never land at best. Always caretakers because we can't take care of ourselves. That's the one given. Then Christmas happened. Excuse me. The purpose of God on Christmas was to come in the flesh. It was to enable leaders to become true parents of adult children. I'm just using the metaphor. Instead of focusing on how they have the power, it's focusing on how they can raise their children to be adults moving the same direction with them. Not leaders who are the heads of group homes calling themselves father, but rather coming in the flesh so that he could show how it works. And then God dying for our sins to transform our stony hearts to flesh. And then God writes his law on these living hearts and lives in them. And now civilization becomes truly possible. That's not bounded and limited and crippled by someone who thinks that they can live your life better than you can. Indeed, by our shortcomings, which only give us success to the extent we are so dominated. This act of God doesn't eliminate external governments. That's one of the first things people are saying, wow, you're just doing away with the church or the state or family. No, I'm not doing that at all. I'm not attacking the Father's authority. I'm simply saying, you, the world, you leaders out there, for the last 5,000 years of recorded history at least, have identified yourselves as father figures, as parents over all the little children of the world. That's how you've done it. Okay, I want you to look at that image <clears throat> and admit the fact that this means according to your own petard. You know what a petard is? A petard is an explosive charge that you put under the wall of a castle or the gate of a castle, and then it blows up. And so when the Brits say he was hoisted by his own petard, what they mean is he didn't get away fast enough and he blew himself up. You see, <clears throat> you have said 
very, very clearly, you fathers who are into patriarchy, you kings who are into uh, I am the father of my nation, you, you uh, uh, church leaders and elders who call yourselves the bishop is your father, even though Jesus specifically said don't do that. But no, no, the father of his flock, the shepherd of his flock. You people who use that image about your relationship with the church or the state or the family are using an image only halfway, only as far as it aggrandizes you and your high opinion of yourself and the piety and, and reverence we ought to have towards you instead of seeing where that image goes. And that's where you get hoisted by your own petard. You want to be the father? And you have 5,000 years of children who continue in a codependent relationship with you? That's what you want? You see, this is what God did. The law was never intended to be primarily an external motivator applied by force by the parent governor, by the parent pastor, by the parent husband, but the internal transformer that would make you free, self-controlled, self-government, governed, and not anarchic. It doesn't eliminate external governments. It makes what God always intended those external governments to be without coercive force. Like adult parents, leaders can lead without punishing their adult children. Have your children grown up yet? Do you have good parents? And after you've grown up, do you still have that relationship with them where you go, don't spank me, Dad, but I didn't do what you said? No, of course not. And yet you still go to your parents for wisdom, for leadership. You still look at them as the leader of the pack, even though there's nothing they can do to you to force you to have that relationship with you. That is the purpose of the parent governor. That's the purpose of the parent pastor. And it transforms marriage, which I'm not going to go into any great detail, but it's actually from the family that we get that image. The idea is... <clears throat> that they're first in the sense of more wisdom, more knowledge, more experience, more connections, more contacts, but not first in the way you used to know your parents for the first 20 years of your life. Not first as the strong man forcing you to live by a code that originally was not yours from the heart because your heart was stone, impervious to being governed by God's law written on it. And your heart had to learn what God's law was. Now, this is Jesus's model of leadership. It's not children walking the earth but it's leading adults to fruitful multiplication of all good things, filling the earth and caring for it. Leadership through wise service, not through doing things for or to the follower, but instead of regulating, enabling the ones you lead to do the things with you, the leader, that go beyond what you could do alone. It's striking. That was exactly what Jesus said. When he said, it's good that I'm going away because I'm sending the Holy Spirit so you could do stuff that I couldn't get done if I was here. And that almost seems blasphemous because he was God, but just stop and think about that. Service is what validates authority. Service enables us to lead other adults the way he did. So, you want to get all theological about it? Fine. It's the incarnation. The law word that God wrote on a stone tablet becomes flesh and dwells among us. The living word. He was the first human to demonstrate self-government that wasn't chaotic anarchy, struggling against stifling authoritarianism. He demonstrated self-government by God's law flowing from his heart, directing every step of his life. His atoning cross is the second theological point. 
It defines his ministry and work and service to us. And called it's called salvation and redemption very popularly. But the bottom line is it makes our serving others possible because it's how he served. He laid down his life. In this act, he transformed hearts from stone to flesh so we could have God's law of liberty written on them. And finally, God's law of liberty could be seen unambiguous as being the law of liberty. Not if you just get along with the guy in charge and he's applying God's law, then you'll really be free. No, that's like what the relationship is in a world of hard, stony hearts and sin. Now, these hearts are the stones that, that Jesus said would cry out in praise and prayer to him if the religious leaders of his day, or any day, including ours, refused to cry out in praise. Is that transformation of the heart to stone that takes care, that takes place at the cross. And then finally, the third great event is Pentecost. That's God dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit to write his law on your now truly human hearts so that we no longer look back to Moses who shattered the stone and then had to write it again with, by his own little chisel, but rather we have our hearts, literally the Ten Commandments, the stone of God coming forth to the nations to everybody you meet so that you can become an adult in his world. Adults who transform it into a truly imaginative and yet purposeful, wonderful place. A world that is going somewhere, not static, not winding down, not wearing out, not about to turn in, into either the fireball that, that um, the, the, the uh, tree worshipers imagine or the fireball that the uh, late great planet earthers imagine. It's a world that is going to somewhere and it's not going to blow up until God accomplishes fully his purpose to fill it with his glory as the waters cover the sea. And that's the part you're going to be playing in it. God has written a law on your heart, his plan for turning imagination into reality without anarchy. It does not eliminate other forms of government Rather, it makes them all possible in the first place. The plan of God from the beginning of the world was to take his people, was to come himself in human form, to send his Holy Spirit to dwell in them. Sin sidetracked that plan seriously. However, God's plan was not defeated, and when he came himself, now it was to make us the kind of people he intended that's why you'll find that he says that his plan for you is not, I shouldn't say is not, is from the beginning what he wanted to do with all creation. Not eliminating other forms of government, but making them possible. As Moses said, would that all God's people were prophets. Would that they all had the whole, his Holy Spirit on them. That's the foundation of self-government. And that's the foundation of every other form of government. So I'll be talking about this more in the future. Well, that's probably enough for now. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to my coffee and quiche. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, Click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and his kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth.
the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.